Hey, it's Amelia, aka Big Tit. And I'm Natasha, aka Little Tit. And together, we're, we're the, the Graveyard, Graveyard Girls. Hello. And welcome to our normal, I was going to say normal episode, that's what we call them. Uh, yeah, we're kind of back to our normal routine now, mm-hmm. after spooky, spooky season. season. So this is the first normal one, but before we kind of jumped straight back into normal routine. We did have a few stories that kind of trickled in after the deadline, but some of them we thought were worth sharing. So this is one. Um, It's a bit of a, I suppose you could sort of call it a bit of a dream or a thought that someone had about us. And I think it might be worth including it because I am kind of curious now as to know whether their dream comes true because there might be a future episode and they can answer it. So I'm going to share what they sent us. Okay. So... Basically, they said that somehow I heard a new episode of The Graveyard Girls. It wasn't a dream. Well, I I was napping and this all happened at the tail end of my slumber. All of a sudden, I heard two familiar voices going back and forth and the tangent only lasted for a moment and I remember waking up with a smile. I found it strange... Sorry. I found it so strange. It was like I turned tuned into a frequency that was your voices. It was definitely a new conversation, one I hadn't heard before. There was no visuals, just audio, and I thought I'd share. So I'm thinking, like, have they had a premonition about of an a episode? Future, yeah, a future Graveyard Girls episode. Ooh. So like now, I wanted to include it because I want um Eves to contact us again. Because, like, I don't know, maybe in this episode or maybe in a future episode, we'll say a sentence and you'll be like, I'm having a deja vu. I've Was it heard good this. content? I hope so. <laughs> maybe. Well, I hope we all don't... of it is. <laughs> Hopefully, yes. But we don't know. <laughs> yeah, we don't know. So I want to know now. Like, maybe maybe it'll just come at a random time. It might not happen until next year. But, like, maybe True. he's foreseen an episode. Maybe he has. So, yeah, I mm. want to know now. So uh, thanks for sending it in, Eves. And, um, yeah, if you, if you happen to figure out the episode let us know now because i want to know if this is like a premonition because mm. that'd be quite cool because we didn't really have many like sort of things like that in the spooky season did we no i think maybe some of the things we asked for maybe pe- mm. people were too maybe we weren't too specific even though we were like this could be this or this could be this. i don't know Maybe yeah, we'll try we'll and do it again. Up, yeah, we'll see how we go. Last time we've had a few stories sort of trickling a bit late. Because like, we asked for them really early and we didn't really have much... Like the first week we asked about it like way back in the beginning of the summer. We had a couple of stories. Then we had nothing in the middle and we got a bit panicked. We're like, oh no, we're not going to have enough stories. And then we did. But then loads of people sent stuff in after we released the first episode. I was like, we've, we've already made the other three episodes now. So like I was a bit panicked, but I just didn't want everyone to think they'd been ignored. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, we might maybe down the line, if it fits in with a case, we might mention some of other people's stories. Just, They're all saved, yeah. or we might do a special at Christmas or something. Or just pop them in every at the beginning every so often. Yeah, in the episode. So yeah, yeah see how I do. So yeah, if you've still got something interesting you'd like to share with us, feel free. Send us an email, we'll always read it. And then yeah, maybe we could do a special at Christmas time, if we get a few to pack in all together. Maybe. You know, like a Christmas special or something. Yeah, we'll see like how it goes. stories at Christmas or something. Yeah, we'll, yeah, we'll, see, we'll how see how it goes. goes. Um, but yeah, I guess I suppose I best get back to today's case. Yeah. Okay. Um, as promised, because before I did solving crime in the 1800s oh, yes. till 1900s, and it's been a little bit of a gap. It's just the way the episodes have fallen. Um, obviously, we had spooky season as well. So I'm now going to do solving crime in the 1900s, but I'm doing 1900 to 1910, purely because there's lots of advances in the mm. 20th century. So 
I would have been like doing a super brief covering if I'd tried to cram in the whole 20th century in one episode or it would have been a mammoth episode so I'm breaking it down into decades um so for this episode I've taken some time to look at both the advances in forensic technology around the world between 1900 and 1910 and what it would have been like for actual policemen who were working on the ground so okay done a bit of both so Obviously, a lot happens in the turn of the 20th century, and crime and forensics is no different. So I'm going to do a little bit, like last time, I'm going to do a bit of a timeline of like the major things that happened in each year, and then I'll look into like what it was like on the ground for the policeman. Okay. So in 1900, an Austrian man by the name of Karl Landsteiner identifies the human blood groups. He would later receive a Nobel Prize for his work. Oh. So very important. So obviously, as we know now, like you... You got all your well. It's where all your different blood groups come from, and I think that's very important when identifying either an individual victim or a perpetrator. It is very strange that we have different blood types. Yeah. Uh, oh, it's obviously a happy accident that they just discovered it when mm. they were looking for these new forensic parts. But I guess it's useful when mm. identifying blood. I suppose if there's a fight with lots of people as well, like you can maybe identify multiple people. It's also weird that like I'm the universal donor. And then not all bloods are universal. It's strange. Yeah, because there's there's the A B, then there's an A B, <laughs> an O. There's a three or four blood groups. There's an O negative. That's the universal one. There's yeah. an A. There's an A negative, A positive. Okay, so maybe there's more than that. So I think at the beginning of the 19th century, it was three main blood groups. It was the A, the B, the A B. Yeah, I think so. They hadn't discovered O. That came along a bit later. Okay, because there's O. There's O negative. Yeah. Is there an O positive? I don't know. I don't know. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Hold that thought. Let me do a quick blood groups or blood types. Blood types. Blood types. So we don't have to uh, go back on ourselves. Okay, yes, there's O negative, O positive, AB positive. B negative, B positive, AB negative, and blood group O. Okay. Okay. So a few groups. But there's only three at this point, the first three. Okay. Obviously, I think they discover the others as the more they're able to look into it and break it down. Mm -hmm. Okay, so in 1901, Paul Ullenthew develops a test to distinguish the difference between animal and human blood. So he's carrying on the work Uh, from the other man. So they've discovered the blood groups and now they're expanding it. He discovers uh, this during an experiment in which he'd injected a rabbit with chicken egg proteins. He then extracted the serum from the blood of the rabbit and mixed it with egg white and to, study the, to study the serum. Paul had noted that the original egg proteins would clump and precipitate... I can't even say precipitate. Would precipitate out of the solution. This was now a breakthrough and would help German police in a case in which two boys had recently been found, been found disemboweled and dismembered in a forest. Oh. Yeah, not very nice. I might later go on to do yeah. it more into this. Okay. So, at the time, German police suspected Ludwig Tesnell. Um, as a witness had said, they'd seen him and that he had a suspicious amount of blood staining on his clothes. Okay. Okay. So Paul was contacted by the police at Greswold University in Germany. Here, the professor used his newfound technique to study the stains on Ludwig's shirt. He determined that the blood was both human and sheep. 
So if it was human, whose blood was it going to be? So that was already a bit concerning because I think there was a substantial amount of blood, so they needed to investigate that. I don't know why sheep as well. I maybe had lamb for dinner. Strange. <laughs> Ludwig was then convicted and would be known as the infamous Mad Carpenter. Okay. Ooh. So I might have to do an episode on him. So he, he was a carpenter by trade? Well, I don't want to ruin it okay. in case I do a future one. I haven't decided whether I'm going to do it as a Patreon or include it in, as another normal one. Okay. So, it'll so be a surprise. <laughs> listeners, you may have to uh, give us £3 to listen to that. <laughs> yeah, maybe. But that's not just for one episode. That's for like over 80 episodes at this point. Yeah. Well, that's it. I was really struggling because I was like, oh, I'll just do that as like my next normal case. And then I was conscious of the fact I still need to do the rest of the decades mm. in the 1900s for the solving crime. So... I was like, yeah, I've got a bit of a way to sort of go. Yeah. So it would take me a little while before I did the episode. So I'm thinking maybe Patreon, because then I could do it like in the next month. But yeah, I don't know. It'll be a surprise, listeners. You'll have to keep up. Look out <laughs> for it. Okay. So also in 1901, the first police photographer would be employed in the UK. So this is for like taking photos of like crime scenes and stuff. Oh, okay, so not of the mugshots because you kind of did the mugshots. That was at the, the end of the yeah. 1800s. Okay, so it just makes sense to like transfer into documenting the crime scene. Yeah, yeah. so it's it's a way of kind of gathering evidence, I suppose, or at least preserving a bit of the scene in a way. Mm. Okay, so obviously fingerprinting's been around for a little, like they've discovered it already, but it's in 1901, it will be introduced scotland yard okay and using it to actually solve cases so it's been around for a couple of years but they've not actually used it to solve cases at this point okay okay as a result in 1902 harry jackson would become the first person to be convicted for robbery as a result of fingerprint technology now in an episode a couple of weeks back i can't remember if it was a normal or a patreon we did about the first murderers convicted based on fingerprint technology i want to say that was like 1905 so a little bit after this but this is the first actual criminal one where the person is convicted based on of a crime yeah okay so this is a robbery so on the 27th of june in 1902 a a burglary occurred in denmark hill in london billiard balls had been stolen i don't know yeah (laughs) i was just like what oh (laughs) yeah so like nothing major like not a massive amount of money yeah just some balls so the investigating officer had noticed that a number of fingerprints had been left behind on a freshly painted windowsill. Ah. ah. This was the windowsill where they were presuming the robber had entered. It technically could have been the person painting the walls, uh, the windowsill, sorry. Uh, but I don't I feel think like a painter it's... would ruin their own work by just yeah. touching it. Yeah, so I feel like there's a high probability mm-hmm. it was the robber. And obviously the police thought the same. So Detective Charles Stockley Collins went to the scene and decided that the left thumbprint was the one that had made the clearest impressions. So he took a photo of it and returned to the fingerprint bureau. A search of the files revealed that the fingerprints belonged to 41-year-old labourer Harry Jackson. He'd previously been convicted and served time for burglary in which they'd kept his fingerprints on file because they were starting to do a database literally a few years before. Mm-hmm. Harry was found guilty and sentenced to seven years on the 13th of September in 1902. For stealing some billiard Billiard balls. balls. Yeah. (laughs) To be fair, though, you look at that point, like, it was quite long sentences for, like, what seemed relatively petty things. What did Mm. he do with the balls? I don't know. Did he have his own billiard ground? Lawn? 
Is it the lawn? No, I thought it, it was a like game. Yeah, I thought it was a games table thing. I don't really play that sort of games. I thought it was like a, not oh. a card game, but you know what I mean. I don't I thought, know. Well, it was like gambling. I thought that's what Billiards, I thought that was that game. Uh, it's an old person thing, okay. so we don't know. <laughs> Someone young's going to write it now, like, this is my favourite game. Well, we weren't raised with it, and okay. I think it's a man's game. I feel like it's a gentleman's game. It's a, yes, a mm. gentleman, and seen as we aren't gentlemen. We can't be included, so, yeah. you know. Okay. Well, in 1903, the New York Police Department starts to create fingerprint files for unarrested, like, anyone that they arrest. So they're a little bit behind us. But mm. I feel like it started here in the UK, and then someone's travelled over to America and, like, look at what we're doing. It's quite useful, because I think France was the first ones to do it. They're doing it in the 1800s. Yeah. I want to say France was before us. It was either France or Germany, but I feel like it's France. You'll have to listen to the other episode. <laughs> Because okay. we do cover it, but it's been yeah. a while. It's literally been about th- nearly three months in between recording these episodes. And I did it at the beginning of summer. Our minds are like... Died. Yeah. Okay. Then, in 1905, President Theodore Roosevelt establishes the FBI. Yes. Mm. I do like... He is one of my favourite presidents. I have two. I don't know why. I just... It <laughs> tends to be like I liked their names and then I looked into them and then I was like, oh, these seem like good men. Mm. He's one of mine. He's one of yours. I don't know why. Okay. And I like this next one. In 1906 in the UK, a bite mark bite mark evidence is used for the first time to convict a hungry thief who ate cheese at the scene of the crime. <laughs> <laughs> so he got peckish. Mm. I was just like, oh, fancy a bit of cheese. Ooh, it's on cheese. the side. Yeah. yeah. Just... Have a little nibble. Have a little eat, nibble. Eat, eat the whole cheese. I feel like it could have been us. <laughs> I would have eaten the whole cheese. I'm not leaving like my teeth impressions in there. <laughs> but to be fair, at this point, they weren't really using, really using bite marks True, as evidence. So once, I don't think he was conscious. Once I've had some cheese, I'm not just going to like leave it. Yeah. I'm taking the whole it, cheese. Yeah. <laughs> Take the thing with you. Maybe it was only a little bit packaged. Or maybe the cheese wasn't very nice. He took a bite and was like, Ugh. Maybe, yeah. That's a good enough yeah. reason to leave it. Okay. Then in 1908, North Eastern Railway Police trialled the use of police dogs for the first time. Police dog Jim oh, and his oh. handler, Sergeant Allenson, were the very first pair Jim. to use. Yeah, That's little so Jim. sweet. <laughs> okay. Do we know what Jim was or not? I No, I didn't. I'm going to go with... At those times, they actually had bulldogs yeah. as a lot of police dogs. So maybe a bulldog. So maybe. Although okay. Jim doesn't really sound like a bulldog, <laughs> does he? <laughs> no. Okay. In 1910, the first police laboratory was started in uh, Lyon, in France, by Edmund Lockard. Now, he was described as the French Sherlock Holmes. Edmund was a pioneer in establishing the use of trace evidence, which is obviously very important now. Mm -hmm. He is also the creator of the exchange principle, and in this he explains how it's impossible for a crime to be committed without the criminal leaving or taking traces of physical evidence. And that the more violent or physically intensive the crime is, the more evidence that will be exchanged, which kind of makes sense. So in terms of if you're bludgeoning someone to death, it's going to be very difficult for you not to take any blood back with you. Yeah, it's very messy. Mm. So Edmund is also responsible for making it standard practice for police stations to use the Galton points, which is um, when you're doing fingerprint identification. So the Galton points came about when Edmund believed that if 12 points of comparison could be matched between the prints, then it was enough for a positive identification. So you know now, like when you watch some CSR or old crime things, like they pull it on the computer and it's got like loads of little lines of the points. Yeah, that's what it is. That's the Galton points. So he came up with that. 
So I feel like that seems very advanced for the time. I think it is just very interesting that we have very unique stuff to Yeah, because I know it sounds stupid, but you didn't think there'd be that many different possibilities of fingerprints. Like, you think there'd only be that many, like, so many types of whirls, and then after a point you're going to get a repeat. Because I have whirls, and then I have, like, weird lines across, Mm. and it's very strange. And I've got a couple of fingers where I've got a scar now, and the scars will be so deep that if it was in a fingerprint, it'd show up. So, like, I'd really be leaving behind a very distinctive mark. Yeah. Okay. So, I see that's, like, kind of the scientific sort of breakthroughs throughout the month uh throughout the month throughout the the decade (laughs) that's a very busy month (laughs) (laughs) it's a very busy month so i wanted then to look at a little bit what it was like for the actual police officers on the ground but i've gone for the uk ones because it's like closer to home so in 1900 the police officers were still on foot walking around with their little whistles Mm -hmm. um we know that by this time england wales and scotland had roughly 46,800 policemen and had 243 constabularies. So quite a few stations dotted about. I think that sounds quite, like quite a lot. I thought so. I feel like it sounds like there's more then yeah. than there is now. But to be fair, no, with really. all the courts, probably <laughs> right. So also in 1900, uh, sorry, in 1901, we obviously already know the first police photographer um, was employed, mm. but that was in the UK, so I've included it again. In 1903... They make things a little easier for officers in the Metropolitan Police as they bought their very first police cars, though they did just buy two. So I feel like it might have been for like the chief of police and he got a car and that was it. Everyone else. Yeah, it'd be like the top boss who has the car and everyone else is just like. Yeah, the little policemen have still got to like run around with their little whistles. I will say the um, French police sirens sound very weird to ours. Ours are like very like move out of the way. There's like, yeah. can you move out of the way, please? Oh, they're a bit more polite about it. Yeah. Mm. Whereas oh. ours are just like, you need to get out of the way now. I mean, to be fair, it is supposed to be alarming and alerting to get you to move out of the way. So true. Maybe more effective. Yeah. I mean, the I, the French ones do sound a little bit weak. Do they have like a French accent? <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Okay. <laughs> so then in. Uh, 1907 the city of london police introduced the first motorized police ambulance so i'm I'm presuming that's for like big rights and stuff so i don't i'm presuming the police ambulance is for police officers that get injured however i do feel like if maybe there's a civilian or like a murderer or something or like someone who gets injured but they need yeah medical assistance they might use that yeah um obviously in 1908 we have the first police dog trials and then in 1909, policemen begin using bicycles when patrolling and heading towards crime scenes. So they're you making it. Like, I like how they got the bicycles after those two cars. It's like they got the two cars and they were like, it's going to be a bit expensive. So we'll just get them a couple of bicycles each. Yeah. And then... Can you ride a bike? Yeah. <laughs> but also, can you imagine like going after like a little bike or something on your push bike? But then they take a sudden sharp turn or you got to go down all the steps. <laughs> it's very comical. I can see, I can see it in my head. Mm. They're, they're not very steady yeah the hats bob off <laughs> hats, yeah they've got their little stick and they, they, they can't ride yeah. or they're trying to blow the wh- whistle while riding the bike and absolutely like inhale it yeah and like choke on the whistle i don't know if it's like a scene from dad's army but i can picture yeah. someone i feel like there's a few in the countryside on a bike yeah and you could just see their little hat like yeah. bobbing over the head right yeah <laughs> <laughs> okay 
In the same year, sergeants were now being provided with gloves. They had white cotton gloves for in the summer and black woolen ones for in the winter. Uh, so up until that point, I think... I don't know whether this is to keep their hands warm or to help in crime scenes so that they're not leaving their fingerprints. It's one or the other or possibly like you've both. you've done it again, sergeant. You've <laughs> touched the evidence. It's like... Yeah. Yeah. So but I like, like how they have summer gloves and winter gloves as well. Though. They were mm. considerate enough to provide them with both. Yeah. And then it wasn't until 1910 that police officers were now given one rest day every week for the very first time. So up until that point, you had to like Seven do days every, a week. It was your job, yeah, you had to do every day. Oh. And like now they were like, oh, they might need a rest from all that running around or the bicycle. <laughs> Maybe there was a few too many bicycle injuries, like sprains. And they were like, should probably give them a day off. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, saddle seats, horse. It's like, well, yeah, we'll give them one day rest. Yeah. I thought it was just everyone had one day a week. No, for it's religion. like police were needed all the time. So, like, if That's you became true. an officer. That's true. It's like almost like not 24 7, but they would have had shifts, but you pretty mm. much would have had to do every day. Every day. Because they needed them all the time. But, yeah, yeah. So, that was like the main things that happened between 1900 and 1910. I thought it was quite... I like the cheese thing. <laughs> I, like, I like the cheese thing, yeah. It's very interesting that, like, that amount... But, like I said, I think with the Victorian era, with the inventions, same with this, everything just kind of, like, is an explosion of it. Yeah. But things have also happened in a bit of a weird order. Like, I find yeah. it weird that they got bicycles after they got those two cars. Yeah. You think bikes have been around longer than cars? Yeah. So why didn't they give them to them? Or is this the first time they've got actual bicycles rather than penny farthings? Because mm. I feel like it's going to be easier to ride the bicycle because you could have like a little basket on the front. Whereas a penny farthing or like a you unicycle. Put in, <laughs> you put in a criminal in the basket, just get in. No, but You're like, under he's like truncheon. Oh, yeah. Or he's like, I don't know. It's whistle. It is camera. Gloves. If he's a police photographer, he's got to put his camera somewhere. That probably needs a car. Or his little evidence paper bags. Mm. The size of those cameras. And his cameras. fingerprint book. <laughs> his fingerprint book, yeah. He's got his... to put it, or maybe it's just his lunch because I feel like he's out all day. Yeah. So he's, he's got to put his sandwiches somewhere. I am picturing like a countryside policeman, not yeah. a city one. They did have them in the city. I know. It was all of them. But I yeah, know. you do traditionally yeah. think. Police on the... bike. Yeah. Maybe Country. that's because like they were still using them in like the 60s. Yeah. Whereas like they'd phased it out already. I mean, like it is more efficient for getting around the city because I feel like it helps you get to your sites. Because I feel like while they were just doing it on foot, they didn't want to have even had like walkie talkies and things like that. So like if a criminal runs the other side, like now you just get on the radio and be like suspect, suspect whatever is like made a turn down so and so street, you'll be able to do it. You've either got to keep up with them mm. or like you've got to like lose them and then go back and get a telegram sent to the other police stations in the area. And then and be like, just Can you look gonna... out for this suspect please and the city of London with all the other millions of people. Whereas now can chase after him on your bicycle i feel like you've got a bit of an advantage in that sense yeah. until the person's little and starts going through like fences and stuff and then mm. you've got to climb over the fence still and i also wonder how many policemen's bicycles got stolen oh yeah <laughs> that's probably the main thing to do is like gang initiation yeah yeah so instead of like stealing a yeah. car it was like who can take the policeman's bicycle yeah yeah <laughs> i do feel like it's kind of a fun time yeah like, it would have been fun but I feel like, also, like, can you imagine, like, it would have seemed like a high-speed, like, that would have been their high-speed chase. High-speed chase, yeah. Everyone stops yeah. to watch it. But you know, like, where you go places and there's loads of steps down mm. things. Like, I imagine him doing that or, like, going over 
like a curb or something and they're not going over the handlebars that's when the suspect goes running down the stairs because he's like you're not going to chase me down there yeah or and he the just wants to see really going yeah. for it. he's like all the way down the steps and then he dies yeah goes over the handlebars and then he's just like ah and then the suspect gets away i also really i don't know why it makes me think of nuns on bicycles i don't know why yeah i think it's just whatever we watched as kids yeah oh yeah i think weird things just get stuck in your head but it was obviously, like, it was quite efficient for the time. But I just like how when they bought the first two police cars, they were like, yeah, yeah let's just get two. two. Yeah. Like, do we'll, we need we'll see how many? we go. Yeah. yeah. But then, to be fair, actually, thinking about the car thing, I was saying about that, I thought it was weird the way it was before, but I'm pretty certain, actually, at this time, they're still only going four miles an hour, so I reckon you probably could pedal quicker on a bike. Yeah. So, actually, and I feel like the cars were really heavy. Yeah, cars and that... At this point, they're probably just like, oh, it's a novelty. Not many people are going to have cars. Yeah. And then... <laughs> yeah. Although it would be easier for, like, the criminals to just, like, bowl them out of the way. Mm. Like, really slowly, but... <laughs> milk float. Yeah. <laughs> hey, my sister got run over by a milk float. So, you know, maybe it could still take a few criminals how, out. How can you get run over by a milk float? I did walk... In my defence, I would also like to point out, I did tell her the milk float was reversing around the corner. She was just not really very listening and was also quite little and had a big violin like and um yeah she tripped on the zebra crossing and because she was only a little i don't think the milk float man really saw that <laughs> and yeah ran over her a little bit if <laughs> if there's any listeners who are from america or anywhere else that doesn't have milk floats it's a very slow very slow, slow. yeah i don't think it goes like above five miles an hour no it's just like it's a little vehicle it's not a car it's no, like, it's just like a shell of a thing. Yeah. So you like, can if get you milk. had a lorry but it didn't have any of the curtain sides of it, like it yeah. was just literally the square frame. Yeah. That's basically a milk float and it's just got milk on the back of it. But a very, very, very tiny version. Yeah. They go so slow. You should not get run over by yeah, one. Yeah, like in you've theory. got enough time, even yeah. if you stepped out, in theory you've got enough time to cross the road before it gets you. Yeah. But yeah, my four year old <laughs> sister, apparently not. Like I got the worst thing is my mum like told me off for it, like I was supposed to be looking after her. I was like, I did tell her the milk float was reversing. But I kind of felt like we had enough time to get across. You the should have enough time. <laughs> but Clara was dawdling and wasn't paying attention, and yeah, she dropped a little violin in the, in the road. <laughs> I think it's because like she had like a big rucksack as well, and it was like bigger than her. Like she couldn't really pick up speed, and like I was probably taking bigger steps. Yeah, because everyone used to take the Mickey out of us, and you'd be like, "Why are you running away from your sister?" And I was like, "I'm not." And they're like, "Yeah, but you're always like marching really far ahead of her." And I was like, "Yeah, she's just really slow." And, like, there's only, like, nearly... It's not even three years between us. But I feel like I had a proper march on on the way to school and she was just weighed down by a bag that was, like, the same size as her. But she always, like... She did loads of things. So, like, she always had, like, two instruments with her and then, like, a PE kit and a swimming kit. So she was just, like, quite weighed down with everything. No, she had to crawl across the road. That's why she got (laughs) run over. She's like a little turtle. (laughs) She she couldn't get up. She was stuck on her back. But like I said, I did tell her the milk float was coming. And in my defence, I thought there was a sufficient amount of time to cross the zebra crossing. In theory, there should have been. But you do walk very fast. <laughs> I, I do walk quite fast. I don't, the worst thing is I don't even walk as fast now as I used to walk. Like, mm. I had to slow down a lot because everyone was too slow for me. So I had to like train myself to walk slower. So yeah, there we go. Bit of interesting facts at the end there. <laughs> Um, oh, actually, I wonder when, like, zebra crossing... Like, it's nothing even related to true crime, but I'm a bit curious now. When does zebra crossings come about? And... Oh, I was going to say why they're called zebra crossings, but the... Because they're striking. Yeah, I get... Yeah. 
I answered my own question before <laughs> I even asked it. But it's not like zebra striped. It's just it's, blocks. So they could have called it a bumblebee crossing. Because it's mm. bumblebees also like Yeah, but not chunky. black and white. Yeah, but they could have done it yellow because like you get yellow, double, double yellow, yellow lines. lines. Yeah. So why couldn't they have done a bumblebee crossing? Maybe that's a new thing. Maybe they should go for that. Well, it's Maybe. like a pelican crossing. Why is it called a pelican? Uh, that's a good point. I don't actually know. There's weird stuff on British roads and you're just like, I have no idea what. <laughs> why? Maybe it was like, yeah, because which bit's the... Because the pelican one's the one with a little island in the middle, isn't it? Or if I made that up, or is it the one... Pelican, I think, is a zebra crossing that has lights. Oh, I thought all the zebra crossings... Oh, no, they don't all have lights on. Oh, yeah, so the pelican's like the beacon... But it doesn't even look like a pelican's beak. It was, no. I don't know. I may have just gone wrong because it's... I been... thought pelican crossings were the ones with the little island. You know, you go halfway and there's a little island bit for you to stand on yeah. and go further. Is that I not a pelican crossing? No, I don't know what that's called. Oh, okay. Should, like... I mean, it's less important <laughs> for me, but I feel like you as a driver should <laughs> probably know the difference. I know that I'm supposed to stop at a pelican crossing, so therefore that little island thing I don't have to stop at. The person just has to make I thought it was a zebra crossing you're supposed to weigh out. Yeah, and pelican. Okay. If the light flashes... Which it always does. It's never not flashing. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. It's been uh, a decade since I passed my test. Thank if you. there's any road traffic officers listening to this, I promise we will have a little Google I always, after the episode. We always stop for pedestrians. You have to now. Yeah, I know you do. But... Well, I'm saying that now. <laughs> they've changed the rules. Yeah, here in the UK, um, they have more... have right of way. Yeah, even like if they're idiots and just step out in the road. Yeah, which is dangerous. With no warning. Yeah, which is dangerous. So that is no. I think it's because there's so many stupid people now, and they don't look, and they just figured it's easier to give them the right of way than tell people you need to look before you cross the road. I feel like that's what's happened. Do you know when we were at school, we had yeah. the little hedgehog things like the staying alive, but they're not. Yeah, <laughs> I know. But you remember, I remember when we were in school, light, yeah. and you got the little light up, the reflective things. Yeah. On your I was a road traffic safety person at school. I was. Oh, it was my you? job to go around all the classrooms and give everyone the little poster to put up on the little notice board, and I was to tell them like they could all have a free little light up hedgehog thingy to go on the school bag, and that it was very important to look left and right before they cross the road. So there you go. I did my job. You did. I did. I didn't get anything for it. I think I might have got a certificate at the end of the year for being a road safety. Well, you're not patrol person. You're not going to be paid for it. You were a child. I know, but like, I should have had like, a, I don't know, money for something or like, you, no, like you a don't voucher. get no, or, you get a certificate and that's like, it. I didn't even get a trophy. Like, I just got a certificate. You don't get a trophy. Just can for, I not have an award for no. being the road safety officer? <laughs> no, you get a certificate and that's the oh, bare I minimum. Hundreds of children left and right. It was a very important job. Yeah. And, and as a nine-year-old, yeah, all I, I feel like normally it should be an adult job. I took on adult responsibilities at the age of nine. I was handing out very important information leaflets to the teachers to put them in the corner, and I was giving out free reflective things. Like some of those children will have been seen by cars because I gave them a hedgehog reflective strip. If I hadn't have given them that hedgehog reflective strip, they had nothing the to aim might, for. Yeah. <laughs> the people might not have seen it. So I might have saved lives. I would just like to point that out. Mm. I did a very important job at you the did. age of nine. But the school uh, rewardment, rewardment, yeah, that's a word. <laughs> <laughs> it's certificates for literally everything. Yeah. 
But what was that? Like, there should have been more of an incentive. This is certificate is the incentive. I don't even know if I still got the certificate. I might have, frame might, it. Might, <laughs> no, it might have like Short rained diploma. on the way home. <laughs> and it got soggy and like disintegrated or something. But yeah, mm. I, was a, I was a road safety person. I think I had to do one assembly as well, which I was like really scared about doing because I had to tell everyone that we were going to get free stuff and that we'd be bringing them around in the class and like it was very important. Like there was a little video and we had to press play. And I had to go, like, it's really important that you watch this video because you must... And afterwards, I was like, what do you have to... Why didn't the you teacher do this? I don't know. <laughs> I feel, feel like they just didn't want to do the job, so they gave so it Amelia. to someone else. Yeah, you, you could do that. Yeah, and I had to tell them it's very important to look left and right before you cross the road and then look left again. Or, like, if you're going right, it's look right, then look left and look right again. Very important, Natasha. It's weird. There you go. Episode. So, just in case there's anyone else out there who didn't know how to cross the road... I've just given you a road, road safety talk. I get really confused when I'm in a different country. Like crossing just, the road, I'm like... But to be fair, I always look both ways anyway, yeah. so I feel like I'm covered. It doesn't really yeah. matter where I am. Yeah, but then I feel stupid if it's a one-way... Oh, I know, I still do that here. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's one, but it's an automatic, But in a yeah. weird way, as much as you look Ingrained. like an idiot, yeah. you're, at least you know you're covered because you have yes. looked both ways. Yes, and sometimes there might be someone going the wrong way. So Exactly. Or like there might be a pigeon flying the wrong way down the road and if you didn't look left, you wouldn't see that it's about to spite you in the face as you step out on the road. <laughs> so, you know, it, it's always worth looking left and right because you never know what's coming. Yeah. It could be a deadly pigeon. <laughs> <laughs> I have been slapped by a pigeon. Yeah. It just, it just quite... skimmed me. Yeah. Yeah, but it feels like you've like sliced your head yeah. off. Yeah. Hmm. There you go. So, there's a lesson for your kids. Look left and right and left again. Or right and left and right again. And don't leave any fingerprints behind. Yeah, take the cheese. Yeah, take the cheese <laughs> unless it's really rank, and then <laughs> and then kind of like if it's rank, just hide. Like yeah, like maybe take it with you, but like put it in a bin or something. Yeah. Um. Yeah, don't leave your bite mark behind, yeah. and especially now because you can have like your saliva and DNA. So yeah. you'll definitely find that it's you. Um. Also, like maybe those cheese crumbs round your face might give it away, and uh. Yeah, I don't, I don't really know what else to sort of say about that. Don't leave any blood behind. If you're going to exert yourself while bludgeoning someone to death, uh, take spare clothes and properly dispose of the clothes. Don't commit a crime. On you that probably note. should have led with that. <laughs> don't commit a crime. And make sure you look before you cross the road. Yeah. Uh, on that note, in the meantime... Keep creeping. <laughs> we'll keep digging. Stop telling people how to kill. <laughs>